This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. The following is a presentation of Morning Drive Media. Broadcasting from beautiful Burbank, California, this is the Knapsack Files. I'm Ken Knapsack for another edition. We got a guest. We're sitting down for an interview. It's going to be fun. But before you sit down with me and my guest for the interview, I want to let you know that today's episode of Knapsack Files is brought to you in part by Skillshare. Skillshare is an online learning community with thousands of classes in design, business, technology, and more. The classes are accessible and approachable classes taught by real-world practitioners. Here's the thing. I'm not just telling you about Skillshare. I actually use Skillshare. You you think I'm just saying that, right? No. I, I've watched and taken classes for freelancers, social media strategies, and tips. When my employment changed earlier in this year, I wanted to branch out my skills, and this is what I found. This is how I did it. I want you guys to know I chose to be an affiliate with Skillshare. Uh, they're giving you right now a two-month free trial. Just sign up using my promo code, the Knapsack Files. 2MO. That's the Knapsack Files, the number two, and MO. And you'll get two free months of unlimited classes, no commitments. You can cancel anytime. That's the truth. Try out Skillshare. Your brain will thank you. Go to Skillshare.com. The code upon checkout is the Knapsack Files 2MO. You'll be hearing me talk about that more. And I might even be teaching. Swear. This isn't just ad copy. I put that together. I sought them out. I'm happy to bring it here to the Knapsack Files. But you know who? who I'm happy to have here on the Knapsack Files because we've been talking about this for a while. As happens in this town, you're sometimes like, hey, let's uh, let's uh, let's podcast. Let's uh, let's grab some lunch or drink and podcast. That's the way we do it here. <laughs> Schedules sometimes don't work out, but I'm very happy to have Mark and Draco in studio today. Welcome, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I felt like I was listening to uh, I, w- I want to join the Church of Scientology or something. I was like, wow. Come on in. Get your personality yeah. test, Mark. Landmark forum, skill set, all that <laughs> stuff. That's awesome. It is. I actually did use it when I got laid off. I was like, I need, I need some more skills. Yeah. Yeah. I got to say. Your voice, I feel like I'm in an old school radio show. You have the best radio voice. I want to have the Thank sound you. effects like John Candy and Little Shop of Horrors with like the machine gun and the. Wow, that's yeah. a good recipe. That's a deep cut. I appreciate it. Well, I'm happy to have you here because you are one of the more interesting cats I've gotten to know in this town. And first, I got to admit, I'm right here on the air. I was, I was scared of you. I was intimidated by you. <laughs> really? Because when I got to Screen Junkies, you were a regular on movie fights. And I knew you as this comic book writer, but I didn't know you much beyond that. Now, it turns out we have some connections from our friend group from my deep sketch improv mm-hmm. past. Yep. We talk about that. A lot of fun. But And here you are. You are a very confident, uh, I'll say snarky in the best possible way, humorously cantankerous. And I'd watch you on movie fights. I'm like, wow, I don't want to piss this guy off. <laughs> Because he might give it to me. He might just lay into me, but I've known you are also one of the sweetest souls. I've oh, well, thank you. Me. Well, I've, you know, I was intimidated by you when I first met you. Because <laughs> you always wear, the, you know, you had the suit on and sure. you have that voice and you very, you're very, you're very reminiscent of a lot of the alpha men mm. from my childhood. Lots of sure. dads and uncles and, yeah. you know, that sort of thing. So it is funny hearing that because I just think, I, you know, I feel like I'm wearing my dad's suit to work. You know, the little <laughs> rascals, three kids standing on each other, pretending to be an adult. And a lot of the, 
the my personality is a right. lear, is a learned behavior. Okay, you know I'm still, you know they some psychologists said you know you see yourself as you look when you look in the mirror you see yourself at like maybe between five and ten years old. Oh wow, that's you how can't... you see yourself, and it's like oh okay I'm I'm this quiet yeah husky <laughs> kid at a Catholic school who's got gets good grades. And so I just see myself as like this little, you know, the Wizard of Oz. I'm the, definitely behind the curtain. Yeah. You know, so, you know, I guess it's better than thinking I'm thinking my shit doesn't stay. You know, it's <laughs> Fake it till you make it type yeah, of attitude. Yeah. But this is definitely a learned behavior. Because if my if I went back in time and visited myself, my 10-year-old self, and yeah. I, they saw this is what was going to happen, I'd probably be a, a, a priest at a monastery with a vow of silence somewhere. <laughs> Taking it, uh, flogging yourself there. Uh, you, well, that happens all the time. That happens. But it's usually in the shower. That's natural. Yeah. That's yeah. natural. That's yeah. natural. You are from Ohio. Correct me if I'm wrong. I am. Yeah. Uh, you you have a you have a long winding path to where you are now, where I know you and mm-hmm. some of your stuff. In it, but I know one of your recent. And I want to talk a lot about your career, but one of your recent works that I love, the, the Adventures of Nick Wilson. Oh, thanks. Has a lot of Ohio references yeah. that you wrote about that are just not even like eh, it's a kind of a based upon. It's the thing. So maybe oh, you are from this land. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, for for listeners who didn't read it, and there were a lot of them, um, <laughs> it, I, I was approached by a, a friend of mine, Eddie Gordetsky, who is a legend in the mm-hmm. sitcom world. He's been Chuck Lorre's right hand man since Dharma and Greg, and he co created the show Mom. And I met him yeah. through Paul Dini. As I drop every name possible here, I want you um, to drop names. This is the spot it's, to it's drop. It's really not name dropping. It's just for the it's just for the connective tissue. It, yeah. it really is. Um, and I met Eddie at a party, and I was singing the praises of Mom. You know, yeah. talking about how it reminded me of the Norman. Lear shows of the 70s. Yeah. It wasn't like an episode of Friends where it's like, Ross shits himself. It was yeah. like the descriptions of all those 70s shows were like, you know, Maud, episode 20. Maud gets an abortion, comedy, 30 minutes. They were about things. <laughs> yeah. And the comedy came Death. organically and it wasn't reverse engineering the jokes. And I was talking to him. He's like, well, what show is that? Do you think there's like that? I said, yeah. oh, there's a show called Mom. And he said, I got to stop you. I created the show. Like, oh, my God. I had no <laughs> idea. And uh, then he, 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 you know, he approached me and said, I have an idea for a comic book. And I went and had lunch with him. And the idea was this thing called that we came up with called The Further Adventures of Nick Further Wilson. Yeah. It's about a guy named Nick Wilson who, regular Earth, mm-hmm. uh, when he's 22, he gets superpowers. He has no idea why, how, where they came from. Boom. And he's a superhero for four years. He's the only superhero on the Earth. This okay. isn't like Powers or the DC Universe or anything like that. He's the only one. Mm-hmm. Four years later... Powers are gone, same way they came. Doesn't know how, doesn't know why. And now he's sort of an, uh, a sort of aimless late 20s, early 30s stoner guy in Cleveland who's appearing as a Nick Wilson impersonator at kids' birthday parties because his superhero name was Nick, Nick Wilson because right. why would you have a secret identity? Right. So, it's, right. you know, it's just a metaphor for the kid that gets drafted out of college without a degree to play yeah. football and then they break their leg and they have no skills. So what do mm-hmm. they do afterwards? You know, we the yeah. amount of people that go bankrupt that, that are, do, are just destitute after playing professional sports. Right. You know, and the whole second act thing, you know, when we, when I was a kid and I'm a little older than you, you know, people change their careers maybe twice in their lives. Right. Now, I think last year they said the average American changes their career between eight and 11 times. No wonder everyone is crazy. (laughs) And and, and stressed out and anxious. And getting less money every time. So it just ties into the metaphor because, you know, you know, it's counterintuitive, but things that have the layer of genre Mm -hmm. become more personal than documentarian. You know, the example I always use is my so-called life was great, but it was so achingly real. It was on for 12 episodes. Yeah, yeah. Buffy was on for seven seasons. The metaphor of your boyfriend losing his soul when you yeah. sleep with him allows... It, it is so counterintuitive. I'm sure yeah. there's been studies of it done, but when your boyfriend's a vampire, that the little the teenage girl can relate to that more than she could seeing, seeing. exactly what she lives life. Because uh, we don't yeah. want to... 
you know, lives are hard. You don't want to watch exactly your life when there, you come there, home. There is, there is a little bit, especially in comedy, too. You got to be, you know, you, you got to remember to entertain, to keep that barrier down a little bit there. That's so, I love I love my so-called life. I cried at most of my oh, so-called yeah. life because it got me in some places. A lot of different characters, a lot of different ways. I understand what you're saying there. You know, I said it about 30-something, too. 30-something was so achingly real and so great. But people in the 90s didn't want to, were working 80 hours a week to pay their house payments. They didn't want to watch a show that was about that. Yeah. I joked if it was called Moonbase 30 something, it would probably still be on the air. Space wizards yeah. struggling with their young marriages. Yeah. Struggling with the neighbor's, <laughs> you know, the neighbor's tree growing over their crater or something. It's the important, that's the importance of epics, myths, comic books, yeah. superheroes. You're, you're saying stuff, mm-hmm. you're telling stories through capes and, uh, and tights. And yeah. that, that's all right. When did that set in for you? Let's go back to Ohio a little bit. Well, uh, let's go to your. I you wish know. you had, now I do wish you had the sound effects here because when you said, let's go back to Ohio, you could have played that <laughs> pretender song. Pretender song? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, I think she would have had less of a problem with me playing it than others. Um, the way, the, growing up in Ohio, I, I, I actually know a lot of people. My, my old roommate, he was a DJ WMMS, grew up there. Oh, my God. Yeah. Wow, what was his name? Uh, Lou Santini. Oh, my God, really? That was, yeah, it's my old roommate. He was, he's on the episode last week, That's so you're crazy. following Lou. Uh, he's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame for radio at that yeah. station. Uh, he and, uh, you know, that station before they did the uh, stuffing the ballot box in Rolling Stone and lost all their credibility. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, a lot of changes. He was mm-hmm. there towards the end, and that's why he left and moved out to L.A. in 98. Um, so I've heard a lot about growing up in Ohio, yeah. Cleveland, Canton, Fulton, uh, Canal Fulton, all that stuff. But I want to hear from your perspective, man. I want to hear what it was like on the ground for you. Uh, it was great. I grew up in a small town, uh, a smallish town called Mentor, a uh, suburb uh, about half an hour, 40 minutes east of Cleveland, right on Lake Erie. Yeah. Uh, very white. I call it Stepford jokingly. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, I grew up in an age where, you know, in the summertime, you're six years old, you wake up, you have cereal and you tell your mom I'm going outside to play and she says come back when the street lights come on <laughs> yeah and you know you go and you know a play date is who's home yeah and if no one was home and you were bored your mom would say read a book or go outside mm-hmm. so you know I I we played as many violent games building forts and stuff <laughs> violent games as opposed to playing Grand Theft Auto now right, we right. were actually playing just as much but we were using our imaginations and building forts and all that sort of thing so it was less we were more active participants in our yeah. own imaginations and I loved it I mean you know I, yeah. I, I hate winter I don't yeah. ever need to see snow ever again give me earthquakes <laughs> and race riots as long as it's warm I'm good. Uh, I have friends who are like, let's go skiing. And I'm like, let's no. get colonoscopies with no. sandpaper instead. That's more fun. Um, but I love growing up in Cleveland. I had a very Norman Rockwell childhood. I okay. think I'm part of one of the last generations that had that. Yeah. You know, I, we, could, we would stay out in the summer playing kick the can or ghost in the graveyard until 10 at night and catching fireflies and all this stuff that feels very bucolic and yeah. fake now. I feel like the Richard Dreyfus narrator in Stand By Me. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. actually... My childhood, I'm further away from that than those characters were in Stand By Me right now. Right, yeah, yeah absolutely but, right. Oh, yeah, but, you know, it was, it was great. We had the seasons. You yeah. know, we had, it, it was very, the only thing that, was, that wasn't great was the lack of diversity. I mean, okay. my graduating class was 1,000 people, and we had one Jew, mm. one person of color who was from India, yeah. and one Asian girl who was a violin prodigy in our in our. Yeah. Um, Valedictorian. I mean, she was yeah. Tracy Flick. So they, it was all like it was like all out of central casting. Yeah, I know that feeling. Yeah, I grew up, uh, you know, Central Coast California, and it was yeah, it still is predominantly white. I think it's gotten different, a little better. But but yeah, I mean, I, I used to joke there was one black family at my school. There was one, and mm-hmm. that was that was what I grew up with. And you had you kind of have to hit the big city and learn on the fly. Yeah, there were no African American students yeah. in my class. Yeah, 
which is kind of crazy to, to uh, understand because my graduating class, like I said, was a thousand people. Yeah, that's a good that's a good sample size. But yeah, so so the, from that from that dreams of going outside these walls. When does that hit in? Or you got Wonderlust early on? <coughs> well, yeah. you know, I, I I learned to read. I, I discovered comic books from my um, my late cousin Todd, who was a couple years older than me. And he, you know, when you're a little kid, you copy the ones you think are cool. So I learned to read at a really young age from Spider Man comics and okay. Sesame Street. So I was re- I was reading at like four and five. Hmm. And just loved comic books and loved horror movies and loved monsters and all that stuff. And didn't, you know, and as a little kid, I wanted to be a comic book artist. But then even as a youngster, I realized that takes a lot of discipline to be an artist. It's it takes a lot of training and I didn't have the attention span for it. And then, you know, I I liked doing plays at school and that sort of thing and tried to figure out what I wanted to do. And in 1985, I was homesick. It was in January, I think. I was homesick with the flu on the watching TV on the couch. Mm-hmm. And there was nothing on. It was a, a Monday night. And I turned on the TV and there was a show on called Moonlighting. Yeah, baby. Yeah. And I didn't know anything about it. And the show opens and it's this guy standing on a ledge and he's going to kill himself because his accountant stole all his money. And then you see this young actor, Bruce Willis, and this actress, Sybil Shepard. And I was like, I just fell in love with the show. I was like, yeah. I was completely entranced by the show. I became like a mm. mental patient obsessed with it. I said to myself, I don't know what that is, but I want to do that. That. That means that. That, that you being, don't know. That not, being, I want to be a part of that world got somehow. It. So not, I want to write the scripts. I want to direct I it. I didn't know. I just wanted, to, know I just wanted to be around that because it mm-hmm. felt... So it, it was just, you, it you know, I mean, literally when that show was on and that show has a really amazing history. Mm-hmm. And when that show was on every Tuesday night at nine o'clock on ABC, I would take the phone off the hook, which is something we did back in the days. <laughs> ask you, you ask someone older. What, look, Google it. Yeah, Google, Google it. You should Google um, machine. And I would dub the commercials out with the, with the VCR. Yes. And I was such a nerd. I would type up the labels with the episodes and who directed them oh, and wrote wow. them and the running times and guest stars and all this craziness. So if you had if you could have had a moonlighting podcast in 1985, you would have done all I, in. That's all a, in. That's actually a really good idea for a podcast. Well, you could do one now. I, no, I'm serious. I might I might steal that idea from you because not steal it. Any is a gift show to you, sir. Any show you're watching on TV right now mm-hmm. that is that is different than traditional television has DNA from moonlighting. Yeah. Moonlighting is a show that wasn't on for very long mm-hmm. and got a little inconsistent because of casting issues and writer strikes and stuff like that. But they did a black and white episode that was the last thing Orson Welles ever did. Yeah. They did a Taming of the Shrew episode entirely on iambic pentameter. Mm. They had, I think it was um, Twyla Tharp choreographed an episode. I mean, it was crazy the stuff that they did on that show. And it was where you, it was where you discovered Bruce Willis. I, I, rem, I wasn't, again, our age, we're, I'm a couple years younger, but I remember I remember my parents watching. I remember him showing up at at, at, at Simple Shepherd's door in the rain. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, my God, I just got goosebumps. <laughs> that, that, that episode, oh, my God. And he's going to tell her he loves, oh. Yep, yep. Oh, I'm yep. going to have to go home and watch them. Look it up, kids. And that's why it was so great watching the Bruce Willis roast on Comedy Central because mm. he and Sybil Shepard had a notoriously difficult relationship yeah, yeah. then because she was a model mm-hmm. who was discovered and was great and did a bunch of movies and stuff and was with Peter Bogdanovich for a while. And she was a model that was, mm. she's a little older than him, so she was in her mid-30s, late right. 30s, and he was this young upstart. And they just didn't get along as the show went on. But mm. she was at the Bruce Willis roast. Oh, wow. And that made me so happy. Yeah. Because, you know, that I I... 
I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you if I have never if I had watched a different show that night. I would not be here. That's Mark. I couldn't have predicted that. And all and all the shows in the world, the Moonlighting's the one that ignited you. I get it because again, I remember it. It, it was one of those big water cooler shows back before that. Oh, but that's crazy. that is that is spectacular. Yeah, I actually, I actually, I, I have to figure out a way to meet Sybil Shepherd because a few years back. Um, mm-hmm. I got to meet Bruce Willis because my buddy Taron Killam, dropping that name, uh, was on SNL, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I was out in New York for the uh, uh, the New York Con in October, and Bruce Willis was hosting. Oh wow! And I yeah. said, Taron, I said I don't want to ask you anything. I said, but if 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 he if I can meet him, he doesn't even have to be a nice guy. I just want to be able to tell him thank you for my career. Wow. Because, it's, yeah. cause, you know, because how often do you get to do that? I mean, I'm actually yeah. getting kind of emotional. No, this, this is great. Um, I, I could, Mark, I couldn't have predicted this at, for, at all. Yeah. This is great. So so, so, I, so, so the after party, yeah. Taryn brings me up to introduce him to him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Bruce has a reputation. Sure. But meeting him, being introduced by someone he just worked with at the after party of Saturday Night Live is different than going up to him at Sizzler and saying, I loved you in, you know, Blind I, Date. I mean, I would love to go to Sizzler with Bruce Willis. It's <laughs> um, a different podcast. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I went up to him and I said, uh, Mr. Willis, it is a real pleasure to meet you. And I said, I just wanted to thank you. I said, because if I had never watched Moonlighting, I wouldn't be here. And that inspired me to have this career. And he wow. was great. He was great. Yeah. But it didn't even matter. He unless if he as long as he didn't punch me in the face, yeah. his reaction was incidental because yeah. it was just me getting to thank the thank, thank someone who literally changed the course of my life. And we can count on probably one hand the yeah. people or the events that have changed the course of our the, lives. The ones that inspire you. Yeah. The ones that, that at, yeah. at that early age. You know, I have uh, Return to Bruno, uh, the Return of Bruno and LP. I have the know? CD, but I have. <laughs> do you have his follow up album? I do not. <laughs> I have <laughs> both on CD. I don't think he owns both of those albums. <laughs> Probably not. So you're sitting there. You're sitting there watching Moonlighting. You got this feeling. You're like, okay, there's something here. I like for me. You know, you know, I'm a Star Wars guy. I just remember going. There's a someone created this. Yes, I'm lost in this space wizard lightsaber laser sword world. But I am inspired by the fact that somebody put this together, and that sent me on my path. All right. Mm-hmm. So. What, what do you do from that point? A, a little well, kid you know, in Ohio. I had been working at a comic book store. I had been working at the store called Comics and Collectibles since the age of 11 and a half. And 11 and a half, some labor laws there. Right? Well, I was you getting know. paid in comic books. <laughs> you know, and it wasn't like, I, I wasn't like, you know, Maria full of grace. I wasn't smuggling heroin <laughs> in my ass or anything. It was like putting out comic books on a shelf and bagging and boarding things. Um, but as I got older, you know, I, 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 I did some community theater and I was like, I think I want to major in the theater. Okay. And so I, you know, and that was mildly controversial amongst mm. some of my friends and some of my friends' parents because I was always the honor student kid, and everyone thought I'd become like a doctor or an engineer or oh, something. Okay. And I was like, no, I'm going to do the theater. And and you know, you start out like mm. everyone at that age. I want to be an actor because that's the shiniest bit of tinfoil sure. in the junk pile. And then I directed a play. Okay. I directed, uh, the first thing I ever directed was a play called Love Letters, which is a two-person play by the late A.R. Gurney. Mm-hmm. And it's done all the time with celebrities. It's a man and a woman sitting on stage, and they're reading lo- their love letters to each other. They've known mm-hmm. each other since they were five years old. Okay. And it's a really, really lovely, elegant play. Um, and I did that, and I was like, oh, that was fun. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, being 19 in college and f- stupid and fearless, I'm, yeah. I applied for Play Festival, and the play I submitted was Oscar Wilde's Salome, which is the Dance of the Seven Veils. There's a beheading. There's incest. I mean, it's just crazy. <laughs> big things. Because, but but you know, I'm, uh, and this is something at the risk of sounding like the the guru here. Yeah. That's what college is for. Sure. 
if I'm going to fail spectacularly, I'm paying for the right to fail spectacularly. Right. Fail spectacularly. Those failures shape you. And this wasn't a failure, but I was just fearless. I mean, I wouldn't direct that play now. Right. Now. And, you know. Yeah. Well, you wouldn't direct it now because you had. Uh, if that was my first play a, now, a, I'd be like, fear? no. Yeah, because it's it's an insane play. I mean, it's just an insane thing. But you have to lean into it. And I see. It, you know, but that, is that the, Mark? Is that like the hubris of youth? Is what you're saying? Like when you're young, you just don't know. Now you'd be, ah, I can't do it. Or yeah, you psych yourself yeah, out. Yeah. You know, when you're in your when you're in college and you're free and almost an adult for the first time, lean into that stupid stuff. Mm. I mean, you're pay, you're paying for the right to be there. The teachers aren't there. You know, professors are like your doctor or your agent. Mm. They're there. To, they're working for you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and we we get this fear of of making waves and stuff. And if you want to be an artist, and at the risk of sounding pretentious as hell you got to be fearless art mm. comes from a place of fear mm. like good comedy you know mm. not in a paralyzing way but you're you're putting yourself out there yeah because if you're a craftsman and you build a house that's your craft if you're a writer or an actor or a painter that, it's part of you mm. even mm. not that not that building a house isn't but it's but it's quite literally yeah. Something that could not be made if it didn't come from you inside yeah and you just got to lean into it because life is short We've all learned learned that time and time again, and recently here in our business, we've learned that a lot. But I, I love what you're saying, Mark. Uh, the fear uh, is is something that gripped me early on. I'm 20 years now in LA. I've been mm-hmm. here 20 years, and yeah, you know, I, I trained on the groundling stages, all that kind of stuff, and I didn't succeed to certain levels because I would get to those moments and and it'd be like, ah, I shouldn't be doing this. Not that I can't. No. I shouldn't be doing this. I shouldn't try. What if I fail? What if I mess up? And that's not where art comes from. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. And you know what? And it's also a giant cliche, but, you know, I would certainly like my career to be farther along than it is and have mm-hmm. a little bit more financial security. But any success I have now as I get older is so savored. Because yeah. when you're 20, you know, we don't talk about it, but there's a mental puberty that we go through. Mm-hmm. It's like mm-hmm. 20 to 30 where you really, where no one says, oh, your, your decisions, you're responsible for them. When yeah. I bought my first new car when I was 20 when I was 33 I called my parents to get permission they're like it's your money (laughs) you know and and there's just this 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 thing where you've got to I think when you're in that mental puberty you're either like I'm gonna commit to this or I'm gonna not commit to this and there's nothing wrong with not I you know I realize I'm I have an exemplary position I'm you know I'm single mm-hmm. gay I have a dog on a rent control apartment I don't need a lot I can be selfish sure when you have a significant other or kids and stuff like that it becomes infinitely harder you know yeah, yeah, right so yeah. uh, there's no judgment there's no judgment you know whatever makes you happy makes you happy but at this point no jobs in the world are safe yeah so to quote my parents if you're going to be poor be poor and happy don't be poor and miserable yeah that's no it's a valuable valuable lesson Valuable lesson. So you you strike out. You do this play. From there, you're getting a taste of of not just the shiny object, as you say. I, I, I'm curious. From there to, to now, it's a long road. But I want to start. Uh, how, I'll you, make it as quick as possible. I directed a bunch of plays in yeah. school, in college. Uh, the last play I directed my senior year is this great play called Bent. That's mm-hmm. about um, uh, gay guys in World War II in in, in the prison camps. It's right. a really beautiful, lovely, intense play. And I directed that and won a bunch of awards, and that was kind of cool. And um, mm-hmm. then I graduated from college, and I'm like, I'm going to move to the West Coast. And I had some friends in San Francisco, so I moved to San Francisco, and it was like 93, 94. Yeah. And it was at the time when the economic disparity in San Francisco was crazy. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I worked at a record store in Pacific Heights, and you would walk by a 5 or $6 million brownstone, and there'd be someone shooting up in front of it. Right. And you're just like, how, what? How, yeah. how do these exist 
You know, mm. your your the your grocery bill for a week is more than this person's probably made in their lifetime. Right. There's got to be something. Something. Yeah. And I'm not a complete socialist about it, but yeah. the disparity now is so crazy. If I had eighty billion dollars, I would like to be I would like to be J.K. Rowling if yeah, I was. Yeah. The moment she had a billion dollars, she was a billionaire for like three days, then she gave half of it away. Yeah. Because how much do you need? So I was in San Francisco, and I wasn't really liking it, and it wasn't the right place. My parents said, come back home. You can stay here until you figure out what you want to do. So I moved back home, got a job at a talent agency, and was managing a bookstore and producing mm. and directing plays. And I worked on a couple of movies there. And one of the one of the movies I worked on was called uh, Telling Lies in America. It was written mm. by Joe Esterhaus, and it was based on his yeah. life in Cleveland. He, When he came over from Hungary with his dad, he w- worked for a DJ. So in this movie, it was about the payola scandal. It was okay. Br- Br- Brad Renfro and Kevin Bacon and Maximilian Schell and Callista Flockhart. And the director was a guy named Guy Ferland. And I did extras casting for the movie as well as being an extra in the movie to wrangle them. Right. And a uh, couple, about a year later, the, the the production designer of that movie who lived in Cleveland, uh, I ran into him and he said, yeah, the guy's doing a new movie. I'm going to Seattle to work on it. And I'm like, oh, mm. I wonder if he has an assistant. And I had kept the call sheets, and I had his ho- his personal phone number. So yeah. I called him. Just called him. And he, he answered the phone, and I said, hey, and he remembered me, and I said, I, w- I want to be your assistant. Jim told me about the movie, and he's like, oh, okay. And I told him, you know, I, I told him, I, th- I thought this was his office number. I would never have called him at home. <laughs> um, and he said, yeah, the movie has a budget of a million dollars, and if you can get to Seattle, we can put you up. But okay. that's it. Uh, I, mm-hmm. And he said, and I need to know in two weeks. And I said, okay. Well, all right, yes. He said, yes what? I said, I'll do it. Went into, yeah. went into work the next day, gave him two weeks' notice, bought a car. My dad and I drove from Cleveland to Seattle, worked on the movie for eight or nine weeks, and then came down here. <coughs> wow. Okay. I want to go back to you even le- leaving San Francisco to go back home. That mm-hmm. is hard enough to, oh. say, to say, I may have made a mistake, or I want to reset, mm-hmm. and if I go back home, will I ever leave? Mm-hmm. Okay, we know you did, but go go back to that moment. Oh, it, it's terrifying, and I I, I tell now I do, I've done a couple of lectures and stuff, and I speak at different schools, and I always tell the kids who are seniors, I'm like, if you're thinking of moving to a city, yeah. if you want to move to Chicago or New York or Los Angeles or wherever, go there, mm-hmm. visit it for two weeks, yeah, find the vibe. And I said, and you know what? If it's not the city for you. There is no shame in that. Mm-hmm. Not everyone is meant to live in Los Angeles. Some people, I have friends who I went to college with who are super talented who live in Cleveland and do theater in Cleveland and have a nine-to-five job, and they're, they're, they love their lives. Right. Everybody is different. The thing that I can't s- stress enough is live your life for you. Don't live your life for the expectations of others because nine times out of ten, yeah, no one's paying attention to you. We all have other stuff to do. <laughs> it's a busy town. We're not busy all. Life. Most of us are silent background in the movie of life. <laughs> It's, it's you know? we're the star of our own show, and everyone yeah. else is extras. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean it's crazy, and and I and mm. I say I say that because if I had moved to Los Angeles and moved back, I'd probably still be in Cleveland. But I, I think maybe subconsciously I picked mm. this city to test my sea legs that I knew oh, wasn't yeah. the right city. I would like to think maybe my subconscious is smarter than my conscious. But if I had oh. moved, if I had moved to New York or moved to Los Angeles mm. and and tainted the groundwater metaphorically, yeah. I don't know if I'd be back. How did you, you go back home? Your parents are obviously very supportive mm-hmm. at this time there. They oh, just, they're great. I'm, I am so lucky to have the parents I have. Yeah. It's, it's insane. It's part of the reason why mm-hmm. I did that Love is Love book and I try yep. to do charitable stuff, uh, you know, because I grew up a gay kid in Ohio in mm-hmm. the 70s and 80s. And when I came out to my parents, they're like, pass the salt or, you know, <laughs> if you're, we want cool. you to be happy. Yeah. There was no sort of 
any of that. My father, you know, who was like comes from Eastern European, you know, blue collar mm. folks. I so underestimated him. You know, yeah, I was really. like, oh, I'm a shitty son because I really thought he would have an issue. And he's, you know, you, I always knew my mom would be cool. But yeah. my dad was like, oh, my God, how much? You, wow, I'm a dick. You, you geared up for a fight or a trouble Well, not a fight, but, you there. know, when, when, when Chaz Bono came out to Cher, yeah. Cher was pissed. Mm-hmm. And if right. Cher's going to get Cher, pissed, yeah. Cher wouldn't exist without gay men. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so if she gets pissed, <laughs> all bets are off. You never know how anyone's going to react. you got to be careful drinking uh, my nice vodka drink before you say something funny, Mark. Yeah, I know what you mean. You know, and so so for me, I never had suicidal thoughts about being yep. gay. I never was going to get kicked out of my house or disowned or any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. So I feel the need because I had such a great childhood, a picture book childhood, that I have to give back because I don't I got you. know that stuff. I have enough. It's the one good residual thing about being a former Catholic is I feel the need that I, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, I should give I should give back more than I do, but I'm trying, no, you know, yeah. something I'm doing that I've tried to do now since, once again, I did that Love is Love book. Mm-hmm. I try to do something nice for a stranger every day. That's great. Yeah, that could yeah. be simply holding a door. It could be giving a homeless guy when it's hot like this a bottle of water. Yeah. It can be just saying to someone, oh, I like your shirt. Yeah. You know, because I learned from doing that book that one kind word can tra- change the trajectory of someone's life. Yeah. You know, I've had bad days before, and I was like, you know, a couple months ago, I was at the grocery store, and I was just in a bad mood. Just mm. nothing tragic, yeah. just life garbage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The minutiae stuff is it, the more annoying than the big tragedy stuff. Mm-hmm. I can rally around a big tragedy, but when it's like, oh, I got a flat tire, and they turned off my cable by mistake, <laughs> it's just like, ugh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was, you know, I was checking out of the grocery store, and this, this, the, the woman who was doing the grocery bagging was this uh, older older Mexican woman, like mm-hmm. looked like a, a, a grandma. Yeah. Uh, and she said, and I was wearing my Halloween 2 movie poster. She goes, oh, I love Halloween 2. That's a great shirt. And I was like, oh, thank you. She's like, yeah, that I, that movie's silly, but it makes me, li- I, I really like it. And I was like, oh, right. And that just, that changed my day. Yeah. I was smiling. Yeah. And I, you know, forget about stuff. So. Yes. And it's, it takes no energy to be nice. I am, I am not a charitable, hu- I am not a, that person. <laughs> I don't do, you know, I consider myself a C plus person on a good day. If I can do it, <laughs> there's no excuse for no one else. If you, uh, yeah. I get it. You know, and that's not being falsely modest at all. No, it's no, no, really no. not. But, you know, I hold doors for people. I let people yeah. in in traffic. If I'm on a subway, I'll offer my seat to an elderly person right. or a person with a crutch or a woman. Not because I'm a good person. That's just what you do. It's it's not the it's plot of a basic Hallmark movie. civility. Yeah, it's not a plot of a Hallmark movie. It's moving. The, it's moving the. It's 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 moving the the the, the love forward. It yeah, is, I'm not, it is I'm not giving you my heart yeah, or yeah, a yeah. kidney or a liver <laughs> or something. You know. Yeah. Though hey, you know, you might, you might, you might. Um, you talked about. I, I want to talk about love is love mm-hmm. now. I mean, I know that's more recent, and, and I want to get back to your journey. But yeah, you you put together this this charity book following this this tragedy. But I remember your tweet. Right, it just kind of came. Came out organically. You felt the need to want. Yeah. To do um, well, you know, the Pulse nightclub massacre in uh, Orlando t- mm-hmm. uh, in June of 2016. Yeah. That Friday night I was online, doing whatever you do online, garbage, yeah. wasting time. And there was a news alert that there was a shooting at a club in Orlando. I'm like, oh, there was a shooting at a club in America. It must be a day. Yeah. Must be, must um, be Thursday. Yeah. Friday. Yeah. And the next morning, I woke up and it said 49 people had been killed. Yeah. And. I had a visceral physical reaction. I, mm. I, I was dry heaving. Mm. And to the best of my knowledge, I, w- I think it was because I was 13 in 1983 yeah. when AIDS was happening. And when I was sure. 13, until 93, 94, there was not a reliable test. Uh-huh. So, you know, you could have a sniffle today and in two weeks be dead. Right. There's an enti- if, I'm t- if I was 10 years older, I might be dead. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I have friends who are 15 years older than me who went to literally hundreds of funerals. I have a friend who went to 600 funerals. Mm-hmm. Everyone he knew yeah. died, and they didn't know how they got it. So for me, it brought back a lot of that. Gotcha. You know, and I, and I just on Facebook said, if anybody wants to do a comic book, char- uh, uh, an anthology charity, I'm on board. I'll organize it. Because yeah. I grew up in the 80s. I'm a kid of We Are the World. We Are the Live World. Aid. Yeah. And for me, too, it was like having a skill set. You want to do something. Because when you write a check to a charity... The Red Cross, you write the check and you mail it. You can compartmentalize it. You're done. Yeah. But when you do a book or a record or a movie or that, and the person has something mm-hmm. tangible, it allows them to have something mm. to revisit. Yeah. It's not okay. just, yeah. it's not just, oh, I gave the money to charity. Good. Yeah. I checked a box. Yeah. You know. Uh, and, and that's not bad in and of itself. No, that's not bad in and of itself. Clear, but, but, but yeah. But when it's something like, the Pulse nightclub tragedy or what happened mm. in Las Vegas or the Parkland uh, right. High School or Sandy Hook or anything, those things should hurt. Yeah. We should never think about them and go, oh, yeah, I remember that. Ha, ha, ha. Yeah. No, that, that stuff's awful. The fact that it, we're yeah. getting numb to it is part of the reason why I did this book. Gotcha. Because I don't want to get numb to it. I don't yeah. want to, you know. And that, so that morning I typed in, I put that thing in the Facebook, and then that night there were like 75 messages from different artists, writers, actors, mm. directors, Publishers all said we're in. And I'm like, oh fuck! Now I got to make a comic book. Do it, yeah. And we did this 144 page anthology book mm-hmm. with one and two page stories um, mm-hmm. that um, IDW and DC Comics co-published. And J.K. Rowling graciously let, let us use Harry Potter. I, I picked a quote from a Harry Potter book, and Jim Lee, mm-hmm. the preeminent comic yeah. artist in America, drew it. We had Matt Bomer, Taron Killam, Patton Oswalt, Patty Jenkins wrote the introduction. Yeah. Tons of comic book people, um, people that have nothing to do with comics. Um, and the book was called Love is Love because I have issues with guns in this country and I have mm-hmm. issues with mental illness, but I didn't want to do a book that was strident. Yeah. I wanted to do a book that, because for me, the saddest thing about it mm-hmm. is Omar Mateen, the killer, was probably, at least circumstantially, probably gay. Sure. And yeah. raised in a very strict Muslim, Muslim household. And the fact that he had so much hate for himself mm. that he couldn't see that he saw other people being happy and thought that could never be him and he had to destroy that yeah is epically sad i'm glad he's dead because he did a monstrous fucking thing yeah. but i wish someone six months before had said fuck your father yeah live your life you're a good person you don't need him because it could have been avoided so i wanted to we should all be happy when we see people in love yeah. i want everyone to be in love yeah because, you know, it's like, well, what's the, the line from um, Moulin Rouge? Uh, the, it, the best thing is to be to love someone and be loved in return. Yeah. And to be threatened by someone loving someone else because of their gender or their skin color or their religion is the height of stupid. Right, stupidity. right, yeah. It makes, it makes zero sense. Yeah, tough to comprehend, but but then there's those that, yeah, yeah this is where it comes out. And so, yeah. especially now with the monster we have in office and uh, yeah. all, all, the, all the other people falling in line behind him, I just, I just had to do something. Yeah, you but I, but I like what you're saying. Like you, you are not going to this is this this particular incident. Mm-hmm. Maybe others are fire with fire. This is I'm going to do something that's going to put this different vibe mm-hmm. out there. Yeah, that's going to be something in their hands, something close to you. Yeah. So, but then you also have to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Saying now, and, and doing it. I apologize to every editor I've had since because I'm like, oh, I now know that everyone who works in comics is a liar. <laughs> You know, it's like, oh, um, I'll have it to you tomorrow at four. <laughs> oh, no, I meant the fourth month of the fourth. You know, yeah, it's all crap. But uh, but everybody did it for free. I mm-hmm. mean, and we went from me posting on Facebook June 16th, 16th yeah. or 17th 
to the book being in the stands December 21st. And we debuted at number one on the New yeah. York Times bestseller list. We're on our eighth or ninth printing now. Mm. There's seven foreign editions in all different countries, and all the money and half the money from all those goes to different charities. We raised over $200,000 for right. the families and the victims, you know, because a lot of the charity money that we used was used for things like buying headstones. Uh, I mean, the, stuff yeah. you don't think you about. Don't think about. You don't think about, you know, the, there are people, you know, there was one guy who went to the club with, I think, three or four of his friends, and he left early because he wasn't feeling well. Yeah. All of his friends were killed. Mm. That mm. guy is going to need long-term psychiatric care. Yeah. And we got to think about past the immediacy, the immediacy of the physical injuries mm-hmm. about the long-term stuff. Yeah. You know? So it was it was a privilege to be able to do something that has given even a moment of peace to someone who suffered yeah. a tragedy like that. And I've had so many different emails and encounters with people who the book has affected. And I don't know what to say to them because I don't want to say you're welcome because I didn't mm. do it for that. And that's such an impactful thing. Yeah. But it's one of those things where it's like, you know, if it, I've said this ad nauseum in interviews, but if it's the only thing in my obituary, I'll, I'm good. You're good. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and absolutely, I mean, yeah, it's weird. You don't want to say, like I'm saying, hey, you know, you should be proud of what you did. But yeah, that's a weird spot to bid because there's, there's, there's souls that were killed, souls souls who are out in, a, in a, what they believe to be a safe environment, having fun at their, at their, at their best, their core moments, yeah. you know? God, my favorite places in the world are gay clubs because everyone is 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 not judged. Well, that's, there. that's I'm glad you brought that up because that's why there was you know there was a a little minor mm. slight controversy about Love Is Love because there were so many straight contributors. Mm. And for me, it was I didn't want it to just preach to the choir. These were in addition to yeah. being gay men and women, these were brothers and sisters and sons and fathers and mothers and uncles. And it became, it transcended, it yeah. was a very specifically gay event because it happened at a gay club, okay, right. but it became a human event because of As the it ramifications. Yeah. Right. I don't ever want to say, well, it just happened to them. No, we're all, yeah. because if you need a kidney and a gay guy is your right. match, you, your body's not going to reject it because it's gay or <laughs> black or something like Who that. Who was he with last night? Yeah. I don't want um, it, said the body. Yeah, um, but gonna. although it's still... I can't give it's, blood. Yeah, you can't. Which give is blood. ridiculous because I've known junkies that have given blood. Right. But okay. Anyway. Yeah. I di- I digress. Yeah. But you know it, it's it's the kind of thing where you know unfortunately if we did a love is love comic for every mass shooting in America it would mm-hmm. be a weekly book yeah. which is one of our many national shames at the moment. Right. Um. But you know like I said I I've, I've had parents tell me parents of victims. Uh, Thanks mm-hmm. for the book. I had I had a kid in Kansas send me an email who said my parents are evangelical, a sixteen year old kid, and he said, and I was going to kill myself. And I I saw this book at the library, and it made me realize mm. all I have to do is get through high school, and I can go someplace where I can be myself. Right. Yeah. What? There you go. Yeah. Okay. I win. Yeah. 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 No. <laughs> you know? No. No. So. I, I mean, yeah. This. Uh, yeah. Out of tragedy comes comes something something good, and then that's unfortunate that it has to happen that way. But yeah. No. You absolutely did good, and that's that's one of the like you said your 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 obituary. If that's just it, that's it. You've done a lot of other things. So let's go back to wait one, one more thing. Yeah. The no, book no. is still in print. It's still in print. Still available. You can get it through Amazon. You can get it digitally, and it has twenty extra pages of cool content. Um, oh, the the oh, money okay. still goes to charities. We're changing the charity now. The, the mm-hmm. charity for 2017 to 2018 is the Trevor Project, which yep. is a great uh, helpline, suicide hotline for LGBT kids. Um, and the book is in print. We're going to keep the book in print until until until, until, until yeah. there's no interest in it. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, your money all all the money you goes give in. goes to charity. So. 
Don't read it in public, though. You will ugly cry. I ugly still, cry? I still can't read the book in its entirety, and yeah. I would, and I saw all those pages every day. And you there, yeah, yeah. I, it's still, uh, I see it on the sh- on my shelf over at Earth Two in Northridge. There, they're still selling the copies there, so that's good. So, awesome. so from there, let's jump back a little bit. You come back, you 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 you, you kind of pull some aggressive hoodwinking and get this assistant job. Mm-hmm. You, you go out here and you end up down in L.A. Uh, so you 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 got this director path, this. This this assistant path you got, but to end up writing comics, what's the leap there? I had no interest in ever being a writer. Uh, in ninety three, mm-hmm. I think ninety three, I was out still in college at Kent State University, and I had become friends. There were a lot of comic artists that lived there, including Jill Thompson and, mm-hmm. and my buddy P. Craig Russell, who's known for doing Sandman Fifty, and he's mm-hmm. adapted Oscar Wilde's fairy tales and operas, and he's just great. Right now, he's doing the American Gods novel adaptation. Yeah. Um, and he had done a Doctor Strange annual in 1974. Yeah. And I asked him about it. And he's like, yeah, you know, I was supposed to write the whole thing. It was my story. Then Marvel brought in another writer to finish it. And I said, well, why don't you, call, you know, this was 93. And I said, why don't you call Marvel and say you want to do the director's version of it? Draw the ending you wanted. He's like, that's a good idea. So he called. I hadn't seen him for a couple of days. And I said, hey, what's going on with Doctor Strange? He said, oh, we're doing it. I'm like, oh, that's great. He's great. like, when can you start? <laughs> I said, what? He said, oh, you're going to write it with me. I said, What? He said, yeah. I said, Marvel said yes to that? They said, yeah. And that was me being like Rita Hayworth at, at Schwab's, right? Yeah. So I hate telling that story. People are like, how do you break into comics? Because the story annoys me. Your path is your path. Yes. That's all we could say. Yeah. My, my path was downhill. I was in a rickshaw with uh, Henry Cavill. It was really great. Well, it's a good um, dream. But uh, yeah, and then that happened, and then I got a couple of calls from different editors at Marvel, and I just started doing it, and it enabled me to do production work when I first moved to L.A. and work on cool movies that didn't pay anything. Yeah, yeah. Um, And the rest, I just, you know, because I originally, when I would have an idea, I would think about friends of mine who were writers and give it to them, but then I realized after directing, I'm going to micromanage this to death and ruin the friendship, and I started writing them myself. And by some quirk of fate or Mm. some great magical power, yeah. People th- seem to like it enough that I've been doing it now for 25 years. 25 years. Now, yeah. and, and here in Europe, bringing in Ohio, you're talking about Moonlight. That's why I'm so surprised. Mm-hmm. But you were a comic fan from, oh, from the age of back four. in the day. Right? Yeah. So this, yeah. this, yeah. The, you worked, you said you worked in this comic shop. Mm-hmm. I, you did mention that there. So it, it was all there. It was blood. So maybe it was one of those things that was your, your subconscious was a little smarter than you and was sending you in the right direction. Yeah. You know, maybe. Uh, Maybe, maybe, you know, and it, it certainly, I mean, I had written a couple of screenplays in high school and college and and never thought that it would ever be a source of anything. Yeah. And for for good, bad, and indifferent, yeah. here, here we are. When, when, what years were you running around with Taryn and Mikey Day? And the, the oh, crew? gosh. So I knew um, uh, Taryn Killam and uh, Mikey Day, who's now on SNL, SNL who yeah. he, he and Bobby Moynihan co-created David S. Pumpkins. Yes. Amongst other things, um, my friend Drew Drogi, who's a great, great, great character right. actor, comedian, impressionist. He's known for his Chloe Seventy yeah. videos on YouTube, which you should go look up because they're hilarious. Yes, they are. Um, was a good friend of mine, still is, and he was doing the Sunday Company at the yeah. Groundlings. And being a, a guy who has a theater, mm-hmm. Jones, I would go every Sunday because yeah. the way it works is you're in the Sunday Company for six months and you do a new show every Sunday, and it's. A lot different than Saturday. It's why so many Groundlings go to Saturday Night Live because right. you're making an entirely new show. I mean, it's the, yep. the amount of work that goes into that. It's insane. It's really a gauntlet of fire. And I would go 
And, you know, Drew and a bunch of my friends, Mikey was one of them, became friends yep. with them. I mean, I was there every Sunday. So they would actually eventually start coming to me for notes. And, uh, and you know, and I saw over the course of 18 months, they do what, like 49 shows? Uh, 49? Around that time, yeah. There's like yeah. three weekends off the, yeah. in the year? Maybe, yeah. So I saw, I missed like eight. Yeah. So I saw more shows than all the Groundlings <laughs> combined. You could have voted, I on, the, voted. on the main But company. that was what was great for me because I saw people who might have, when they started, didn't do anything for me, but watched them grow and become great yeah. performers or watch someone who has a lot of talent just sort of coast. And yeah. it was it was so it was, it was was so great because the thing about live theater is, mm. whether it's improv or whether it's a scripted thing, the performance you see is the only other people that are ever going to see that are the people yeah. that are in the room with you. Right. Even They're if right it's then, the yeah. same script every night, but it's a different... There's nothing yeah. more exciting than good live theater, whether it's good improv or a great performance. There's the just, it's just the best thing. Yeah, and and that's how I became friends. And then I met Taryn uh, in, in the lobby one after one performance, and we became yeah. friends. And you know, and um, became friends with him and his wife. And years ago, I was at a Thanksgiving because they have a great Thanksgiving mm-hmm. every year. And now that he's back from New York, the, the Thanksgivings are happening again because there was a great void when <laughs> the, co- the, the Terran Kill and Kobe Smulders Thanksgiving wasn't happening. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And he said, hey, I have an idea for a comic book. Yeah. And you're, you know, you know how it is when people say that you're like, oh, sure. Yeah. Great. <laughs> Desperately looking, hoping someone, you know, not Terrence, super talented. You don't have, sure, sure. it's not indicative of him, but it's Even just, then. you know, when people are like, you want to read my screenplay? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And he told me the idea for this comic book. And I'm like, I was just, mm-hmm. my jaw just dropped. He's like, what? I'm yeah. like, if I had a million dollars, I would give you a check right now for it. Yeah. So we did this comic book together based on this uh, this idea he had in these characters, and it's called The Illegitimates. It's yep. basically a James Bond type gets killed, and we find out he had kids with all the femme fatales, yeah. and they form a spy team. It's hilarious. Before I knew you, I owned every issue of this comic. Wow. And I remember That's one day, crazy. didn't realize, mm-hmm. I knew it was Taryn, mm-hmm. yeah. but you know, you get it, you're like, ah, oh, Taryn, yeah. and then yeah. like, uh, there's other names. Yeah. This one has a, a lot of Y's and K's in his name. Yeah. I don't know. And then one day after movie, mm-hmm. fans, somehow... It's. Uh, I was like, "Holy crap! I love this book. That's funny. I love this book. Yeah, illegitimate. It's it's great. A great because I love I love I love Bond stuff, but uh, to, to tilt it on its head in that way, it's hilarious. That's yeah, and great. we this wasn't you know for for the listeners, it, this isn't um, Austin Powers or anything. This is far, no. this is much more Lethal Weapon, Die Hard. The comedy yeah. in it comes from the situations, but yeah. it's definitely in, an adventure that has some stakes in it. Yeah, it's we you and I probably. I mean, there's a good chance we're we're in that theater sitting down watching things at the same oh, time. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure. Because when I finished up my run uh, training the Groundlings advanced class, and Mikey was in that class and everything, and Mikey goes on, and I think he and Taryn were roommates at the time. And he and Taryn and their friend Hunter were yeah. roommates at US, UCLA or US, U- East, USC. USC. Yeah. And that time, man, yeah. yeah. Mikey's crazy. Yeah, it's a small world. Oh, it's, uh, Los Angeles later, is world. such a smaller city than the yeah. town of 80,000 I grew up <laughs> It is. I mean, I'm plankton in the food chain, and I can't go outside without seeing 12 people I know. I now know, like, really legitimately famous people get out of here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You In, in writing your comics now, um, you, you're pretty you're pretty solid. It's a pretty solid career. you got good mm-hmm. things. you got great things coming. I know some stuff on the way. But, like, uh, I, do you still have those days where you're like, this isn't, this isn't enough? The depression sits in? The career anxiety? Do you feel confident? Yeah, I think the moment you don't have that is the moment you stop doing it. Yeah. I mean, I have friends who are Oscar winners who are like, yeah, yeah I turned on a job today. I'm afraid I'm never going to get hired again. Mm. That's just that's just part of this crazy life. You know, I'm so envious of people like a plumber who on Friday at 530 yeah. puts the clothes sign and then spends his weekend and not thinking about his job. Yeah. That, to me, 
is is I understand quantum physics more than I understand that level that yeah. mentality. And that and I, I I that's not a judgment. I mean, my dad no, worked no. for Blue Cross. He was an executive Blue Cross for thirty seven years. Yeah, I don't know how you go to a nine to five job every day. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, and I you did know? it. I did it. For I did a it long too. Time. Yeah, and I still yeah. But I mean, I I I just you know. You see these. You see stories about like this woman retired after working thirty five years in the GM factory. I'm like, how did she not become a serial killer? Yeah, I have an immense. It's why I like that show, Dirty Jobs, that was on. Mm-hmm. on you know, because mm-hmm. that show could have easily been making fun of those people. But in the very beginning, Micro says, "These are the people that do the jobs that make our lives easy." Yeah, yeah. And I have an immense amount of respect for jobs that I could never ever do I've, I've always heard you say that because you had one time met a problem I think with the parking attendant at the fire someone was giving mm-hmm. you a problem and you were just you were very adamant you're like no I I respect the uh, someone taking their job seriously no matter what the job is you were very big about that so yeah that, that, I can see where that comes from there uh, um, yeah I mean do you looking for the next job and everything I mean do you have do you still have uh, career goals, things you haven't got to yet, things you oh, want to yeah, do that I mean, are realistic, you know, not that we all let one. Well, if I did every, if everything I did was realistic, I wouldn't be sitting here with you. Uh, hey, well, that's, that, that, that's know? a, I mean, not, not to split hairs or parse words, but I don't think yeah. what our, what our lives are, even on the most mundane are farthest, from the, the farther from most people's reality. Yeah. Yeah. There's always stuff. I mean, I have the book next to my bed with the list of things I want to do and yeah. all that sort of thing. And hopefully I'll get to some of them before I die. But you know, this is this business is an endurance race. Mm-hmm. You know, the the book torso I did with Bendis has been optioned a billion times. You yeah. know, it was greenlit for thirteen hours at Paramount eight years ago. Mm-hmm. So it's just a just a matter of there are so many people with so much more talent than I will ever have who aren't doing anything here, mm-hmm. and it, uh, you just you just got to keep running. You know, yeah. and when you get a Charlie horse, get, eat a banana, get some potassium, rub it out, and keep going. Keep because, going. I mean, at this point, what else am I going to do? True. Yeah. You know, that's kind of where I'm and, <laughs> and you know, it's just I, I wish I didn't love this stuff so much. Ah, yeah. I wish I could go do something else, but yep. I have the genetic flaw that I'm not doing this. Don't get me wrong, if someone wants to pay me a million dollars for a, a pilot episode or a script I've written, right. I'll take it. Yeah. But if I can get my teeth cleaned and feed my dog, right, and keep a roof over my head, I'm pretty content. Pretty content. Lo- lo-fi living in a yeah. way. Lo-fi living in a way. Do you still deal with? I mean, what we talked about—that that that fail spectacular type of vibe you, you carried in your in your teens and twenties and took some big risks. Do you do you still have that in you? Because sometimes I I yes. wish I could connect it a little better. I think it evolves. I think I think it changes because um, mm-hmm. when I turned forty, a friend of mine said, "He said when you turn 40, your life is going to change." I'm like, "Yeah, I'm over halfway done." Uh, he said, "No." He said, "There's a, a switch that goes off." Mm-hmm called the I don't give a fuck switch. And I was like, oh, that sounds really aggressive. But it's not at all. It's but kind intriguing, of yeah. But it's like, you know, when I know what I'm good at, mm-hmm. I know what I'm not good at. If I ask you a question and yeah. you're a friend of mine, I want an honest answer. Right. If you ask me a question, I'm going to assume you want an honest answer. And it doesn't mean aggressive or critical or mean or anything. It just means, you know, it's why so many people, so many middle-aged guys work in this business. Because, you yeah. know, we've done, after 20 years, we know what we're good at and what we're not. And the, mm-hmm. the, the secret that most people look at is you get more jobs by turning down something you're not right for yeah. than taking it. Take all the crappy mm-hmm. jobs and take every job when you're in your 20s. You yeah. can do that. But now I've gotten more work by saying to friends, we're like, hey, could you write this? And I'm like, yeah, I could. I but it, there's, I, I know people that could write this and enjoy it. This mm-hmm. is, I can do this, right. but this is going to be difficult. And, you know, jobs come and go. Yeah. Money comes and goes. You know, you got to, 
you know, you just got to, and, and it's terrifying. But when you're in your 40s now, it's like I have no filter now. I've actually been <laughs> toying with the idea because of the, the way of the world of uh, yeah. getting involved in politics. And I'm talking sure. to the local Democratic committee about seeing if there's something I okay. could do locally. What whether could it's, you do, right? You know, being in city council or a neighborhood or something like that. And I joke that I have nothing to hide. Right. You know, I'm a 40, I'm yeah. late 40s. <laughs> Fuck that. Uh, gay atheist pothead. I can tell you, I'll tell you every bad thing I ever did. <laughs> there's there's nothing you could blackmail me with. There's stuff I've done that I'm not proud of that I did sure. when I was a kid or a teenager or even right, in my right. adult years. But, you know. Yeah, that'd be your that'd be your placard on the front lawn. Bring it on. I have nothing, you know. <laughs> Vote for Mark. Here's what I've done. Yeah, if you find out I voted for, like, if I voted for Bush, <laughs> that might, ooh, that'll get my street cred. <laughs> that would get you. But, but at this point, I would vote for him over the other one. But, um, yeah. but yeah. yeah, I mean, so, you know, it's just a matter of there's a freedom that comes when you're older. I wish yeah. I, I wish I could take my 40-something-year-old brain and go back and be like Stewie and uh, Family Guy. And have this awareness as a child, because it is, it's a horrible old cliche, but youth is wasted on the young. It's been said since time began. Yeah, youth is wasted on the young. One of my favorite songs. Uh, yeah. I was going to it's so funny you said that, that the 40-year-old version of you going back to, to talk to the kid. I was going to say, what would the, t- the 10-year-old uh, or even a little bit older Mark and Draco watching Moonlighting say to the Mark and Draco now? But I guess we could meet them in the middle. <laughs> A whole, a whole lot of drama, I'm sure. <laughs> a, whole, a whole lot of unspoken drama, internalized drama. <laughs> well, you're in this town now. You have, a, you have a wonderful dog. I do. I do want to close on a happy note. We had a lot of happiness here in this episode, but you have a dog that you, you love. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's a little chihuahua, right? Yeah, he's a chihuahua, dachshund, rat, terrier mix. What? Named Frederick, and he just turned nine, and I got him when he was 10 weeks old. And he's made me a better person. Yeah, it has quite literally saved my life by making me engage with another living creature when it's easy to get it. You know, it's so easy to form a perfect circle with yourself staring at your own navel in this business. Yeah. You know, and uh, I, I've said it many times before, but if I could sign a contract and give him 10 years of my, of my life, yeah, I would do that without hesitation because I... A- it is the best thing that ever happened to me. Fair trade. Having, having, this, having this animal because they're pure joy and... They, you know, they need you. The reason they don't, the reason they don't live as long as we do, is because they don't need to. Because they're, mm. they're awesome. Yeah, they burn brightly, burn. and we we have to learn stuff from them. So, and that's why I want to close on this because when I first met you, when I'm bringing you in to to go on movie fights, and I was scared of you. If I'd only <laughs> known you had a cuddly little dog back home, I'm the cowardly I, lion, man. You and I would have connected a lot sooner. <laughs> and, and not that we didn't, but yeah. it was like... You and know. since this is going to air fairly yeah. soon, people in Los Angeles, all the animal shelters in Los Angeles County are full right yeah. now. So please, if you were thinking of getting a pet, and I can't say enough how much it will change your life, go to one of the shelters in Los mm-hmm. Angeles County in the next week or two because a bunch of animals are going to... They're going to have to start euthanizing animals. Mm-hmm. And don't just adopt a puppy or a kitten. Senior animals yes. are great. Yes. They're great. Mm-hmm. An animal will change your life for the better. Yeah. Uh, and they will choose you. You don't have to worry about picking it. When you walk through that shelter, they do. They they yeah. pick you. It, it, it's, it's uncanny. Yeah. But do that. It will change your life for the better. It'll change an animal's life for the better. Yeah, it'll just be be a good person. Oh yeah, my 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 love of the my animals uh, comes 
from my mother. My dad likes it too, but mom, it's big with my mom. And one, one of her biggest, she adopted a dog that was toothless with its mm-hmm. tongue out and gave it the best last three years of its 16 years of life. And, and it was a rewarding experience. Yeah, there's a there's a, a website, the Dodo, that I'm constantly retweeting because yeah. it's all animal inspirational stories. And there's a woman who does that. She has a, a rescue and she takes care of animals who are in late, with uh, uh, fatal illnesses and yeah. older dogs. And she just gives them a good life for the rest. And I'm like, yeah. and she says the joy she gives them mm. Mm. The, totally trumps the sadness of them. Yeah, and it's 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 totally true. I yeah. mean, there's there is nothing better than coming home and having an animal there waiting for you, and just being like, "Hey, I'm so happy to see you." It's the best thing. I know that feeling well. Raised with it my whole life, Mark. Uh, I got some business to do before I close the show, but I, I I do want to say thank you very much for coming in and being being yourself, man, all the way through and through. Oh well, thanks. Uh, and, and well, it's always great talking to you. Yeah, you're a, you're a great guy. You're uh-huh. one of, you're. I, you know, I have a, I have a T-shirt that says "Fuck you." I have enough friends, but uh, occasionally a good one a good one slides through, and uh, you are you are a good man. Well, we're gonna do it even more. We'll even do it. We'll even. This is how how much I think of you. We'll even be friends off microphone. We'll we'll oh, we'll, we'll get a drink. That now. wasn't in the script. Ah oh, man, sorry, awkward, <laughs> awkward. Now, um, I'm just using you to meet Makuga. <laughs> I can get you on. We'll get you on the afternoons. Get you on the afternoons. He's a little prickly fella. No, he's great. Um, Mark, uh, I do uh, want to let the, have you tell people where they can find you, find your work. We talked about Love is Love. Let's even, let's even talk about that some more, where they can f- find your uh, work. Uh, you can find me on Facebook. I'm probably the only Mark Andreco there. Um, be warned. I have a lot of political opinions. Uh, I'm also on Twitter at, at Mark Andreco, one word. And Wednesday, August 8th, mm-hmm. which is two days from when we're taping and, this. And the day this, the day is this drops. Uh, my first issue of Supergirl comes out. I'm, nice. I'm, my Supergirl arc is um, the writer on that now. It's spinning out of what Brian Bendis just did in Man of Steel. Mm-hmm. And we have covers by Terry Dotson and Amanda Connor. And I get to work with uh, the artist on my first arc is Kevin McGuire. And for those of the unwashed comics out there, mm-hmm. he was one of the creators of the Justice League in the 80s that was the, the comedy one with Blue Beetle and Booster Gold and Guy Gardner. And I've been a fan of his since I was 15 and getting to work with this guy... Is it feels like Robert De Niro said, "Hey, you want to want to work with me?" I'm like, uh, uh, "Okay, yeah." And crypto's in the book, yeah. so it's a yeah. Supergirl in outer space with a dog with a cape. Love it, love it. Find Mark, follow Mark, engage with Mark, watch him over on uh, anything he does, movie fights, movie trivia, Shimona. It doesn't matter. He's a great personality. People uh, love him for good reason, and I'm so happy you are here today on the Knapsack Files. So, guys, as we sign out, you know the drill. You can follow me at Cat Knapsack. That includes Instagram, TV. Twitch and on Patreon, patreon.com slash files. And I have to give a special shout out to my producers and executive producer supporters on Patreon, Jason Humphreys, Pags, Spencer Hunt, Alex Marriott, Kai Thatch, Kyle Gerbrand, Zach Anderson, Donald Long. They're my producers, my exec producers, the highest support tier on Patreon, Aaron Parisian, DJ Snacks. Check them out at Temporal Radio, Thomas Risling, Lethal Logan X, Matthew, uh, Matthew Simon Bador, who's also my Fortnite quote, uh, coach on Twitch. Uh, we get Jacob at LegendsCon. Check out at SW LegendsCon to see what they're putting together. And Kyle Harlow, who also has some T-shirts he designed uh, with me, as well as Thomas over there at Crisis Averted Studios, available on tpublic.com slash user slash catnapsack. Wow, I said a lot, but they really do make this show possible and are helping to guide me in the next phase and direction of the Knapsack Files over on Patreon. So that is it for Mark Andreco. For all of you out there, thanks for coming along. We'll see you next time. Bye.